Welcome to Shine KC. I'm your host, Tina Johnson, published author, small business entrepreneur, and domestic violence survivor. What is the first thing that you think of when I ask, what's your go-to stress reliever? Meditate and pray, sit down with a good book, take a long walk. Exercise is my go-to stress relief. A good walk on the treadmill, listening to praise and worship, or a long walk outside does wonders for my soul and clears my head. Not unlike a good stress reliever, rebuilding after domestic violence looks different for everyone. The effects of domestic violence affect one's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Victims and survivors have increased anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and depression symptoms are commonly observed among survivors of domestic violence. Continuing with transparency, because sugarcoating my story won't help anyone. Please know, I talk about the way my husband killed himself briefly in the next segment. After my abuser died, as emotional as this time was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to view his body in the casket. I knew I wanted the funeral to be a closed casket service because he shot himself in the head. I'll share that story leading up to this event in another podcast. But when the funeral home called and said his body was ready, I wasn't sure what I should do. A leader from my church suggested it would be a good idea for me to take one last look before I had the casket sealed. He thought it was a good idea for my own peace of mind. This way, I would never again wonder if he was stalking. I wouldn't feel like I was looking over my shoulder anymore. And I could see with my own eyes, it was over. I was thankful for this wise advice. We both thought it would be wise not to let the children view their daddy, though. It was better to cherish that last memory of him. Right or wrong, that was my decision as a parent for my three beautiful kids that had already been through so much in their six, eight, and 12 years of life. I asked each one of my children to write a letter to their daddy and I would put it in his pocket while he was in the casket before the casket was sealed. I also made special arrangements, of course, with the funeral home to allow his family a private viewing. I felt their need to be able to mourn him in private without anyone else there. My late husband was my abuser, but my late husband was also a son, an uncle, a brother, a nephew, a grandson, a cousin, and so on. And I felt like it was important at that time for me to remember that fact for his family. Going to the graveside was hard. It was a cold, crisp, sunny day in December. It always seems colder at a cemetery in the winter. I had each child of mine grab a rose from their dad's casket, and I also passed them out to his family members. I can remember getting in the car and driving away a freed woman. Freedom was so clear because my conscience was clear. My husband died forgiven and loved by me. I left that cemetery guilt free. I was starting to realize 
he was the one with the sin problem, the narcissistic problem. He just wanted me to carry that. His actions were never my fault. I suppose I could have been bitter, but for me and my household, I chose forgiveness and compassion instead. After my husband's death, so many people asked me if we were going to go to the home, the very house he shot himself in. Our house. There was never a doubt in my mind. Yes, we were. I knew in my heart Satan was behind destroying my family and I decided he could not have my home too. My children and I were not going to let fear run our lives anymore. I still had so many emotions to deal with, but one thing is for sure. I didn't have to lurk around the corners or feel like I was being followed and stalked or even under a microscope anymore. I was free. Once all the furniture and the carpet was out of the house, my oldest brother and I went to view the situation for the first time. No one wanted me to view the house until all of the blood and most of the damage was cleaned up. I was being protected from all the gory memories and I'm so thankful for that. A policeman friend of mine took pictures of the scene and locked them away in a safety deposit box just in case I would ever need them. I still have not had a desire to see them and it's been over 20 years. I remember stopping at the front door, taking a deep breath. As I grabbed my oldest brother's hand, I thought about the moment at my wedding when I put my arm in his right before he walked me down the aisle. I took another deep breath and with a huge lump in my throat, we walked in that house together. My eyes first went left where I knew my husband shot himself. A large part of the carpet had already been cut out to protect me from what must have been a horrific amount of blood. I noticed the vast number of people working in every room in that house. As I walked down the hallway, my neighbor was in the bathroom with a scraper scraping the tub and shower. It was a complete disaster. There was filth everywhere. We had left our home six weeks prior and the house was unkept and trashed. So my neighbor stopped scraping the bathroom because she said she had something for me. She gave me a shoebox. The shoebox was filled with money. She said, I went around the neighborhood and told people what happened to you and the kids. I just asked if they were willing to help you and your children and so many were, Tina. She was so excited to tell me about it. Then she grabbed my arm and pulled me in the back room. She had more to show me. Someone had donated a bunch of paper products from their own pantry because they had no money to give. She thought that was so cool. then she grabbed my arm and pulled me outside again. She pointed down the street parallel to where my house was at the time and she counted five houses down and she said look at this house and I thought she flipped her lid. I'm like what about that house? She went on that's our city's domestic violence shelter. I had no idea when I knocked on the door we even had one. They didn't have anything but paper products to give to your family. They just wanted you to know you and your children were loved and they were glad you were okay. Wow, what a blessing to me. It hit them so hard that such abuse could be happening just a few doors down from where they served domestic violence victims and they didn't know nor could they help during that time. After a few weeks to relax and focus, 
on the children and realize this single parent thing again. It was some time before we moved back home. I could do this with God-given strength. At this point, I didn't feel like I had my own strength at all. I talked to my kids about going home, and they were all for it. We arrived home December 23rd. I asked God the day I made the original call for help to the domestic violence shelter, if we left our home, could we be home before Christmas? Indeed, we were. My girls slept downstairs and my son and I had our rooms on the main level. I found my oldest daughter crying alone in her room. I asked her, what's the matter, sweet thing? I pulled her little face to my chest. Mom, where did dad shoot himself? She asked and she cried. Thinking she meant where on his body, I said, well, I thought I told you he shot himself in his temple. Do you remember me sharing this with you? No, 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 mom. That's that's not what I mean, she replied. I meant where on the house. I thought, oh, I'm so sorry. I never thought to disclose that. I guess I didn't know that it would be important. So I said he was in the living room. The police officers found him laying on the couch. Why were you wondering? I asked her. Just curious, of course. She looked up at me and wiped her tears and said, whew, I thought he did it right here in my room. She replied, why would you ever think that? I asked her and she said, the pain is chipped on the floor and it looked like blood splatter. And I just thought maybe he did in my room and she said this was such relief. Her room was in the basement and the floors were only painted at the time. I looked and sure enough it could have been some kind of splatter on the floor. I never thought about telling the kids where he actually committed the act of suicide but I was glad to have cleared this up for my daughter's peace of mind. I tried to keep the door open for questions from the kids at any time. They didn't know the specifics of everything. But if they asked, I would not lie to them. My days of having to lie about things were over. Despite my daughter's fears, God protected us from even seeing one drop of blood. When I mentioned that everything was spray painted red in my memoir, in my book, and I'll do a brief overview with you, I knew that there were profanities about me spray painted all over every wall in our house. I never saw the images and nobody ever revealed the color of paint or anything else uh, that destroyed my home, I went downstairs to do the laundry. I opened up the dryer and there were the clothes my husband had laundered after his frantic rampage of destruction in the house. I'm not sure anyone would have thought to look in the dryer for anything, but this gave me a personal opportunity to do something for my late husband one last time, to prove in my heart and before God, I truly forgave my abuser. Forgiveness to me, I have to preface it with this. Forgiveness to me is giving up the right to revenge. It doesn't mean what you did was okay, but this forgiveness was not for him. It was for me. Then I closed that door forever. I pulled out and folded his paint-stained clothes, sat on the basement floor, and took this opportunity to have one last cry. After making sure the kids were down and sleeping, I lay on my newly donated mattress set, curled up under my big quilt. 
I slept a quiet, long, peaceful night. I woke up the next morning, not even moved out of the position I fell asleep in. It had been years since I could sleep like that. Moving forward, it was recommended for me by a friend that I talked to a professional counselor and I chose a Christian counselor. I took this advice and met with one for about nine months. The counselor was very compassion-filled, gentle gentleman that truly loved God. His wife and he prayed for my children and me very often. I wouldn't be surprised to find out if they're still praying today, 20 years later. The process of counseling was emotionally hard for me but very helpful. Starting with the initial evaluation questionnaire, there's a lot of past issues revealed that I thought I dealt with, but sadly, I didn't. The evaluation showed my heart was in deep emotional abuse. Then the profile results continued to reveal that I had strong feelings of abandonment and neglect. I struggled to express myself, to be assertive, and I had been deeply spiritually and sexually abused. The test questions were not anything that would even relate to abuse, but through them, my counselor figured me out. I couldn't hide anything even if I wanted to, but I knew if I was going to be used by God and use my story to help other victims and survivors, these issues had to be dealt with completely. I took this time of introspect very seriously. I realized with regard to my late husband, I was in deep despair. Deep sadness is an emotion that we expect. We all go through periods of life where we're not happy, but despair has no hope. God wanted to become that confident certainty in my life. That is why having joy and being happy are two totally different states of mind as far as I'm concerned. I practiced joy as a fact and happiness as a feeling based on what was happening in my life. Joy is mine constantly. No one can take that away from me. My joy is knowing that God is in every struggle with me. I knew God always heard me, but because I had not fully understood the love of God in my marriage, I felt second class. I felt like God would get to me as soon as he could. As God continued to reveal things from my past that needed to be healed, I still had a sense that I was undeserving of God's greatness. This was an issue where I needed to learn how to change my focus. It doesn't matter who you are. God saves no one second class. I wasn't kind of forgiven. The fact was, I was forgiven by him whether I felt like it or not. My focus had to shift from how I felt to the fact of what scripture says. I couldn't put my focus on Satan's lies or my late husband's lies or anyone else's for that matter. My late husband's sinful abuse was not my fault. His sins were his problem, and I was a victim of his sinful choices. God was reminding me of these truths during my healing time. I just needed to take God's word as truth, as fact. I did some studying on my own to understand abuse. Many victims say nothing out of fear. Victims are so controlled in so many areas of life, even their daily life is scripted for them. That's why there's no room 
for them to error. If people started finding out how they lived, then questions might be raised why they are staying. Some people don't understand or people who have never been abused may start putting an abused person down without even realizing it by simply telling the abused person that they would never put up with being treated that way. It's important to remember that abuse is the abuser's fault. While the abuser may have problems that contributed to their behavior, they still have a choice in how they behave and whether to seek help to address their problems. Even if someone does things that annoy or anger someone else, that is not an excuse for abuse. There is no excuse for abuse. The abuser is responsible for how they handle their feelings. Feeling angry or irritated is not an acceptable reason to act out or harm someone else. But what most people don't stop to consider is I am sure that if I would have left too soon or go back to my home too soon, my life would have been over. No doubt about it. My late husband would have killed me. I had to wait for the perfect time and I was dependent on God to show that to me. My own family and friends didn't know how badly I was being abused. If they had, they may have gotten upset with him, but then I would have paid for it later at home. They didn't know until I was in a domestic violence shelter how bad it was in my home. And it was only roughly six weeks before my abuser died. An abused person doesn't want to ask anyone for help because there's a lot of guilt about putting someone else in harm's way so they could be hurt by your abuser. I believed what I was living with was deserved punishment. My abuser worked day in and day out to convince me of that. But at the same time, I also believed no one else should have to endure what I was enduring. Fast forward 11 years, two small businesses, fitness competition, my GED, and raising some precious kids. It was time to refocus. It was time to set out on my journey of sharing my story to reach victims and share hope. It was a difficult time in my personal life, but I knew my story was meant to impact lives. I started feeling insecure about writing a book though. I didn't feel equipped or like my story was even believable. Factually, it's quite unbelievable. And how would someone like me put what happened into a memoir, into words, into a written print? I'm way undereducated for such a task. Then in the next few days, I was listening to a preacher on the radio about Yahweh. Yahweh was another name for God, which means that God is self-revealing. God just wanted to reveal himself to me in new ways in the middle of all of my life confusion and my doubt. God wanted to show me a new side of himself that I had never seen before. This time in my life, was a bigger growing pain than I had ever faced. It was a step toward total healing and stronger faith in my God. He was calling my name like he did Moses at the burning bush. 
I take God's word very personally. So I heard something like this in my spirit. Tina, my beloved child, I'm going to expose myself to you and all your drama. I am going to show up and I'm going to show off. I'm going to show up for you like you've never seen before, girl. Just like the burning bush confused Moses. Your life may seem like a huge confused mess. I tell you like I did Moses. Take your shoes off, girl. Your confused life is my territory and my territory is on holy ground. I want you to take your eyes off the burning bush and put your eyes and your daily focus on the one who set it ablaze. I allowed things in your life so when I called your name dear child you would know it was me calling. You would know it was me providing and taking care for you and your every need. Now pick up your book and write your heart out my beautiful child. Remember who you are in me. Remember I am your God. Okay okay so I got to work. I often feared repercussions from sharing my story early on but I'm in a season of my life where I know hundreds of people would back me up and validate my story. I often wonder how my story has impacted those that I may never even meet. Today my favorite things are being a wife, a mama, and a nana, a small business owner moving and shaking like most entrepreneurial folks do, podcasting and sharing my story, glorifying God, and always bettering myself somehow. Next up for me is setting up a few more little shine boutiques, pouring those shine your light candles, and this girl just got accepted to Mizzou to complete my BA in communications to learn how to better share my story. Hello, University of Missouri, class of 2026. Oh, the plans God must have for me. 51 years young, and I still am not giving up on what matters to me. I hope I can be an example of you're never too old, and it's never too late, and there is life after domestic violence. And it looks different for all survivors. Whatever it looks to you, whether you're in your own private space or loud like me, you do you and heal. I am a female survivor of domestic violence. Women have to care about other women and fight for those who can't. I think it is one of the most important fights to lead. It's not a fight against anyone. It's a fight for something. It's a fight for freedom from domestic violence. I was born into challenging contexts because of a selfish and narcissistic father. I was deprived of opportunities for growth and for self-expression as a child. I will continue to fight despite the difficulties to improve my fate and the fates of those who share in my plight. Lastly, it is the women who choose to help others, whether distant strangers we will never meet or close ones, they whom I admire admire most fearless and ingenious we are domestic violence survivors bye bye for now